You're listening to What It's Like with Luz, a podcast highlighting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Lucy Norris, and on today's episode, I'm chatting to founder of The Naked Collective, a brewing company producing a range of natural, healthy beverages built around your daily needs. Leaving behind a successful corporate career in the drinks industry, this week's guest felt it was time to do things his own way and began building what would soon become Rye River Brewing Company. Discovering he no longer had a vested interest in producing alcoholic drinks, he sold up and set out to create a new carbon neutral venture that centered around the philosophy to do no harm and do good where possible. Mixing up plants, vitamins and water, the Naked Collective found its home in Kildare and aims to enhance your body to suit every occasion, whether that be work, sleep, chill, play or a much needed immuno boost. Taking me through the journey from day one, here's what it's like to be Niall Phelan. Before we get stuck into the episode, I just wanted to say that if there is a drop in sound quality throughout, I'm very sorry, but in respect of social distancing during COVID-19, I've had to record episodes remotely. In this challenging time, we're all trying our best, so I really hope everyone is staying safe and that you enjoy the episode. I think it would be interesting to go all the way back to the very beginning um, of your career and just to talk a little bit about what initially drew you to the brewing industry and then what made you want to develop your businesses around it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I started, I started in, uh, I went to college to study aerospace engineering and uh, I, I had a bit of an epiphany moment um, in that course where I realized that if I, if I continued down that path, I was probably going to be responsible for killing a lot of people because I didn't care enough about what I was doing. Uh, a decision most of my friends thank me for regularly, by the way. So I, I'm, I'm not the type of person who should be designing safety systems and things like that, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did that. I came back and I was sort of, uh, you know, trying to find out what, what I would do next. Um, and really, I fell into a job um, in sales and marketing and consumer goods. It was never planned, which is normal. You know, I, I do go and, and help out um, in some secondary schools when people are sort of, you know, doing career choices and things like that. Um, and no one has ever said to me, yeah, by the way, I want to go into consumer goods. It's just not one of those career choices you make in secondary school. Um you know, branding and marketing the odd time, but never even at that they're looking digital. So it was sort of something I fell into uh, and I I was lucky. I started to work for a company called Richmond Marketing around the time Red Bull was just exploding. Um, and so I got a lot of experience in there. Um, and then I, I, when I left there, I went into Nestle, which is where I'd say I, I got uh, probably most of the core learnings in in consumer goods and and also from a leadership perspective i had some really good bosses uh in in that organization it was at a great time in the business where um, they just bought uh, the purina pet care family business they were joining it together with their own pet care business there was still a family sort of feel to it and just some outstanding people um, so I lived in London for that. Yeah, I got a really good ground there. I really enjoyed my time there. And that's really the only time that I've been out of beverages. Um, so I went back into uh, a business and we launched Peroni and Pilsner Kell in Ireland. So I came back to Ireland for that. Um, and that's really where I started to get into, you know, beverage and beer. 
Um, so I was with Coors for five years, um, set up their Ireland business, um, consolidated the Scotland business, did a number of pieces of M&A, and then ended up doing a lot of work around craft beer strategy. Um, so I got a lot of international experience there. I, um, I decided to leave there. I set up my own brewery, did that for four years, and sold it at the end of four years. And since then, I've been... Um, working on a beverage consultancy so i've done a big big projects for companies like brew dog internationally um and uh during that period i've been really trying to get my my current project live which has just gone just gone live so um that's been a, a journey and a half and a great a great three and a half years actually and then just going back to there you mentioned you set up your own brewery was that yeah. rye river brewing yeah you know i thought there was a real opportunity to go out and put some um consumer goods experience some proper beverage experience into the world of craft beer and target consumers in the right way it felt to me like there was a big gap in the market you know lots of beers being made for um you know craft beer aficionados people who are a very small portion of the population but an appetite from a wider part of the population to drink something that was you know i don't know what the, the right word is for it but less alienating maybe is, is a good word so um the idea behind Rye River was to create a, a craft beer brand that could appeal to a much wider consumer base but could still, you know, win awards and be an outstanding beer. And uh, once I realized we could raise the capital for that, um, I, I made the decision pretty quickly. But I had made a, a very early decision to leave Coors anyway. I mean, I, I gave them a bit of years notice on that. So it was just trying to decide what was the right project for me. And I was looking at a number of them when I, when I decided to, to lock in on Rye River. And what made you sell Rye River then? I think you got to recognize when you're in something that, uh, you know, isn't, isn't probably long-term what you want to do. So we had sold a chunk of the company already. We took in investment um, to a, like a private equity um, sort of hybrid um, business. And we, you know we were looking to take um take on more of their cash and therefore you know the majority of the business was going to sit in ownership somewhere else and at that point i really sat back and had a chat with my uh my family and i said i said you know what it's been a fun journey but i also i don't really drink anymore and so i felt a little bit disingenuous and i very rarely drink now nothing against alcohol um other than the fact that i'm very health conscious and i'm like I like to, you know, I won't have a drink if I got something on the next morning training or an early meeting and things like that. Um, and I'll often go out, you know, and sit and drink sparkling water or a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, and it doesn't bother me either way. So it felt a bit disingenuous that we were creating these great beers. And I actually had lost a little bit of interest in the world of regular beer. Um, but what was peaking in my mind at the time was this opportunity to use brewing to create something healthy and something functional, something that could actually, instead of, you know, causing lots of social issues and causing lots of health issues and costing the taxpayer millions and billions of euros, could we actually create something that, um, that actually helps people feel better and, and can contribute to you know their long-term, their long-term health and, and wellness, but also give them some sort of impact when they drink it, uh, and that had been playing in my mind for a while. Now I, I planned to get into that when I when I start 
contacted uh, my beverage consultancy, but I got very busy very quickly. And it's really only in the last year that I've been able to explore that properly and develop the product range. And then um, just touching on the fact that you wanted to brew something that, you know, was a bit more health conscious. Um, mm. I read that you, when you were working for your province brands, you made a cannabis-based beer? Yeah, so uh, I was a consultant for province and... Um, yeah, I went in to, to help them launch a CBD product, a non-alcoholic CBD product. So cannabis still interests me a lot um, because, you know, most of the research that seems to be coming out would suggest that it's uh, uh, a lot less harmful than alcohol in, in, in nearly every way. And in fact has, you know, huge health, health benefits. So that, that really intrigued me. Um, so we were looking at bringing a non-alcoholic CBD product to market in Europe um, and a <clears throat> full-strength cannabis product uh, with marijuana in, uh, in uh, Canada under the, the legalization rules over there. Um, the, the cannabis markets have taken a huge uh, knock even before um, the coronavirus um, in Canada. So a lot of the money and investment that dried up and it became clear that the money wasn't going to be there from from province to actually launch the brands for a long time and therefore the opportunity was probably too small for me to to stay in and uh, and get involved in um but yeah I'd, I'd look at cannabis and i still think i'll come back around at some point in the future to do something in that space but um i think it needs to be normalized a lot more and there needs to be a lot more research um before i do that yeah definitely i'd say you probably came up against maybe some legal challenges as well when you're working on that but it's definitely a very interesting market and i know um like in the beauty industry and stuff they're they're looking at using it a lot more so there's probably potential there for that yeah i mean there's already mergers and acquisitions going on between cannabis companies and uh, health and beauty companies so this works if you know that brand which is a, a really premium brand in the uk they they were bought by a large cannabis business uh, just over a year ago um, and the intent is to put CBD and hemp into into their products to help because it has a CBD in particular can have a very relaxing effect with the right dosage. Uh, I would guess that's what they're trying to play into. Um, and, and this works has built a very strong uh, brand around sleep and relaxation. So, um, you know, I think you, we will see more and more of that. But using CBD and, and hemp as a topical um, in health and beauty is very different to consuming it. I don't think the consumers that you know the reg regular people on the street really got their head around that and it's almost at the you know it's a bit it feels a little bit like it's at the mad max stage of the industry there's a lot of people putting a lot of terrible product out on the market without any real regulation or any real you know adherence to quality standards and uh and that was something that I, I thought, well, you know what, I'd rather wait for the market to normalize before getting involved because it feels like there could be a, a blow up here at some point. And then while you're waiting for that, you've been working on the Naked Collective. Am I right? Yeah. 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 So that's been, uh, <clears throat> that's been my focus pretty much solidly since, uh, since late 2019. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's the one that sort of pulls me back a number of years into uh, understanding what goes on in brewing and how that can benefit people if you don't have the alcohol. So, yeah, we've 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 spent a, a long time now researching the product and developing something that uh, can deliver some real health and wellness benefits. So, 
what we've done is modified the brewing process so that we create a brewed adult drink. Uh, it's a non-alcoholic drink, mm-hmm. um, but it's full of naturally occurring complex vitamin B, so vitamin B2, B6, B9, B12, calcium, iron, selenium, silicon. They, because they all occur naturally within the liquid and the liquid is isotonic, um, you, you absorb a very high percentage of those vitamins and minerals versus taking a tablet or drinking, you know, maybe a vitamin water where they've just poured a powder into the water. And you're going to absorb a very small amount of those vitamins and minerals in that state because um, the body likes to take vitamins and minerals from naturally occurring sources. So um, we spent a long time developing that process to create a liquid that can deliver that. And then we we add organic botanicals in as well. Um, And it's really built around you know, consumer moments. So we have a chill product, for example. Um, and the idea there is to help your body relax, but also help you clear your mind. Um, so we use some botanicals in there, um, but it's all clean ingredients. We've got, you know, seven or eight ingredients in every product. It's all, um, the idea is we, we really want, you know, um, your, your, you know, your eight-year-old daughter to be able to read the back of the label and understand it um, so so that's one of the sort of litmus tests we use how clean are the products we're using you know can we trace them is there uh, what's the carbon impact of what we're using is it sustainable um, and really trying to build something that can make a difference to people and uh, and and also you know if you're going out and you don't want to drink alcohol um, and your choice is a Coca-Cola or a, a mineral water. Well, you're not really feeling anything from those products. Um, but we get regular feedback from people who drink our product that they can feel it within 10 minutes. There's a visible impact on them. Um, so we've chill, work, sleep, play, and, uh, and our new product, Immunoboost, um, which is a piece of technology we've been working on to try and help support the immune system um, and, uh, and help build up some some uh, immune strength over time by drinking the product every day and um, so we've decided to include that in all our products including our non-alcoholic beers um, as a standard and um you also say you're a carbon neutral company yeah look i did a number of years ago i did a postgrad in uh, business and sustainability um, and the reason i chose sustainability was you know i have two daughters and I was looking at the world and going, there's something, there's something fundamentally wrong here with how we approach consumer goods and I can do something about this. So when we went about the company, well, Katrina and I had the same sort of value sets. So one of them was, well, you know, we don't want to do something that creates harm and adds to the problems that the planet already has. So how do we tackle that? Um, so one, we can make every choice through the lens of, well, if I was looking back in this in 50 years, would I would I still believe it's the right decision? All right, so we, we try and view everything through that lens. And then if, if I can't find something that gives me a carbon neutral um, footprint, then I'm gonna buy sustainable carbon offsets to, to balance that off. So we're gonna work with uh, uh, an Irish uh, charity who provides uh, stoves and training to families in Africa to help them um, and, and that prevents them from cutting down trees for firewood and, and lots of other stuff, but they're a really good organization. So we work with them um, to, to offset any emissions we do create. 
Um, but the only the only reason we we can work with them is because we have a commitment to get our carbon footprint down as low as possible. Um, so yeah, we we try and view everything through that, right down to, you know, we were in our offices where we've just been refurbishing an old barn, and uh, and we were trying to decide how to finish the floors and things like that. And I was like, well, don't want to use wood unnecessarily. We don't want to use, you know, let's not um go crazy on on lots of extra stuff that's not required how do we keep it as rustic as possible but make it a really functional space that people enjoy being in so but we don't want to use materials just for the sake of using materials and that that probably speaks a lot to the philosophy of the business do you have an end goal for this company or what's the plan um we don't really other than i mean we've got a number of products that we are, are developing in the background to bring to market as well um, and a number of pieces to help us improve our overall sustainability um, sort of package. Um, but, you know, we're at that stage where we're just bringing the products to market, getting them in front of people, getting our listings in retailers. So, you know, who, know, who knows where it'll go or what will happen? I've given up on making those predictions and I don't believe in five-year plans. So we have a strategy for the brands and the company and it's really built around a philosophy to you know, to do no harm and where possible do good. Um, so, and they're very specific statements for us. So it's, um, you know, the do no harm is, is not just around the environment, but people, you know, you know, it's very easy to treat people badly in a company. And I've seen that happen a lot in businesses I've worked in. And, um, and we really want to treat people the right way. And the do good where possible is just to go above and beyond what people expect. Um, you know, to give back. So don't be greedy about your profitability. Don't be greedy about things. Um, and so I think for now, what we want to do is just create a, an amazing company to work in. And um, because if we're open and transparent and, you know, th those pieces flow all the way through the, you know, the fiber of the company, then we can be really authentic about who we are. Um, and listen, we'll make plenty of bloody mistakes along the way um, and there'll be plenty of challenges. So it's adapting to those and recognizing that like we are not, we're not perfect. We're a collective, we're a group of people who've come together with a shared set of values who really want to make a difference. We just happen to be doing that through beverages. Um, and yes, of course, we want to make money. You know, we're a business. We, we've got investors to, to look after as well, but we want to make the, the right amount of money by doing the right thing and making good long-term decisions. So let's see where that takes us, who knows. From an outsider looking in, it could appear that the drinks industry is already fairly saturated. Um, in your opinion, and I guess with regards to your business as well, what do you think it takes to stand out from the crowd when you're bringing a new product to market? Um, I, I think, you know, it's a really good question, actually, because it is absolutely saturated, but it's saturated with a lot of the same stuff. Um, so you, to stand out, you know, you, you've got to be authentic in everything you do um, and you've got to have a, a real point of difference, not a perceived point of difference. Uh, one of the reasons I don't like working in big um, corporates, big multinationals is that great ideas tend to turn into sort of okay ideas by the time they go through all of the red tape and the different levels of approval and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, being a small company, you can really take risks and be a bit bold and a bit, you know, 
a bit out there when you when you launch your brands um and we we try and be authentic so we we do take a hit on our profitability because we put you know much higher levels of organic botanicals in our product than a you know a lot of other a lot of other brands out there it's very difficult to make our product i think you've got to be authentic in everything you do and you've you got to set out your principles and not compromise them for another euro of profitability um and if you can do that then then that gives you at least the foundation to go into the market and then it becomes about the brand you've got to create an outstanding brand on the shelf so you know you'll find that a lot of a lot of new product launches and beverages maybe look and feel the same and the they're they they're launched within months of each other and and a lot consumers can often think that's companies copying each other and sometimes it is but it's also because a lot of the agencies tend to follow the same trends and predict the same trends and therefore you end up with very similar products we've tried to go beyond that as much as possible um to create stuff that really is different to what's out there in the market and to really understand what what's the what's the average person thinking when they walk into that fridge what's on their mind because they're not walking up to the fridge going i must get a red bull or i must get a juice or i must get a maybe water because they're dehydrated but generally they're going in thinking i'm dehydrated and they're looking for a solution or i'm stressed out or you know i've had a really really tough night and a tough day and i need something to keep me focused because i got an important meeting this afternoon and if you get into that level of understanding with the consumer and you can build your brand around it then you know that that's how you can stand out on shelf and you need to be very very disruptive in your marketing um so you know watch this space and then just going back to you as a founder you founded mm. two businesses now is there anything, I'm, I'm sure there was lots, but is there any big significant thing along both of those paths that you found particularly challenging? Yeah, look, it can be, you know, you got, you got to be built a certain way for that. So being a founder can be, can be quite uh, a lonely place to be. Um, and if you're not, you know, resilient and strong, that can be tough. Um, so I think, you know, I was lucky. I mean, I didn't mention I was, I was a founder of a business very early in my twenties as well. Um, that didn't go particularly well. And, uh, I learned a lot from that. And I've, what I have learned is that you've got to build an outstanding team around you. So I often meet founders, um, and, uh, and mentor companies and, you know, they'll talk to me, but they can't afford to bring in, a great financial person or they can't afford to bring in a really good sales director who has all the experience and and i would look at that the opposite way you can't afford not to having an outstanding financial person by your side um, and i have an outstanding financial person by my side in katrina as my co-founder is uh is just amazing it just you know that that piece of the business is going to be in amazing shape and bringing on a fantastic sales director who's got the experience. So I think, you know, it can be a lonely place, but if you build skills around you and bring in people who are better at stuff than you are, um, then you, you end up, it ends up being not such a lonely place because actually you've got outstanding people around you who aren't afraid to say, Niall, you're being a bit of a gobshite. You need to, you need to look at it this way. Um, and you you just end up with a much much better business and you know egos disappear and all that sort of stuff. So 
yeah, I think that, that that's been my key learning and, and particularly going into this business, you know, I wanted to, to have just an outstanding team um, and in particular try to try to bring people in who I think are better than me at most things because um, I'm just a I'm just the founder and facilitator. For you personally, do you think that there's a secret to success? And then if so, what is it? Yeah, I do. I do. But it, I think, you know, each person has their own. But in my mind, I have a few rules that I stick by. Um, I think, you know, uh, to have a fit mind, you need to be, you need to, to be physically fit. Um, you need to take care of yourself. Um, so I train a lot. I really focus on food and wellness. Um, I, I try and listen a lot um, to, you know, other cultures, other points of view. So I do tra- a lot of travel. Um, and I think, you know, trying to read as much as possible, but not shitty business books who are trying to solve all your problems in 30 pages. Um, so I tend to read a lot of it. I tend to read history because the world is cyclical, right? Um, and, and for the last couple of years, I've been focused very heavily on the American Revolution, um, which can tell you a lot about the Western world and cultures and democracy and how people think. Um, but, but in particular, you know, I would say the most common word that my friends and ex-colleagues would, would use to describe me is, is relentless, um, pretty much in everything I do. So I don't, if I get knocked down, I'm already on to the next thing. I'm, you know, I've had plenty of failures in my life. And there was a time being very, being Irish, you know, that word is, is a difficult word for most Irish people. And there's a real fear of failure. I just look at each one as a notch. It's like a scar that you go, right, what have I learned from that? Let's move on. Um, so that relentlessness to go, we will we'll find a way to do this and then get you rallied behind that is, is really interesting. Um, so yeah, there are a few, few of the things I sort of think about, but putting all that aside, I've just an amazing family behind me. So, you know, without, without that support and without, you know, um, an, an extremely smart wife and two really good daughters, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. So, um, you know, having, having that, that support at home is, is phenomenal. And then just to finish everything off and then I will let you go. Um, if, I put your 10 year old self in front of you today from the position that you are sitting in and from everything you've been through and everything you know now, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give yourself? Stick with the football training because there's more money to be made. <laughs> Someone else said that, you know, <laughs> the other day. <laughs> yeah, I was a good footballer for a while and then I got bored with training and didn't go back and I often think what would have happened. But uh, actually, you know what, Gen- genuinely, I think I would say, you know, um, you know, at 10, I, I think focus on the things you can control in your life because about 95% of everything that goes on around you is outside of your control. But if you can focus on that 5% and what you can really control, how you, you know, how you treat people, because I was a bit cocky when I was younger as well. Um, so, you know, learning that stuff earlier, I think, you know, would have been really helpful. Um, and and losing some of that cockiness that comes with sort of late teenager early 20s um would have would have definitely jumped me on further so i'd say you know that sense of look yeah control what's around you treat people the right way you'll get it back in spades um, and do the right thing always because i definitely haven't done that uh, all my life so well that's so interesting and thank you so much for letting me pick your brain for a little bit i really appreciate it 
No worries. No worries at all, Lucy. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, please rate, share and leave a comment if you like what you hear. And don't forget to follow at what it's like pod on Instagram and Facebook. For more information on the Naked Collective, visit the links provided in the show notes. I'll be back next week with more inspiring stories. But for now, this has been What It's Like with Luce.